Thanks for joining us here in the studio where we're going to be talking today about one of the more intriguing aspects of the automotive business. I'm talking about spy photography. In fact, there's a new book out called Car Spy, written by a guy named none other than Jim Dunn, who happens to be here in the studio with me because he is a car spy. Jim, welcome to AutoLine Detroit. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. So, car spy, car spy photography, that isn't the kind of thing that you see on a, a job application form or a resume or anything like that. How did you even get into this spy photography part of the business? John, I needed the money. <laughs> I was <laughs> working as, as, a, as a poor uh, writer for magazines, and I thought, I need extra money to uh, make ends meet. So I had some kids going to school, so I thought if, uh, besides that, the magazines I work for, if I wrote something today, the news didn't get printed for two weeks or a month. So I thought, how can I get ahead of the daily newspaper and have fresh news and still have it printed in the, in the uh, magazines I work for? So those two things, I needed the money and little competition there, how do I get ahead of the competition? Let me say, I see these cars running around. Maybe I can take a couple pictures, sell them, I'll make some money, and I'll be well ahead of the daily newspapers in reporting the news. So those two things work together. Now you say you saw some of these future cars running around, but you know usually they're heavily camouflaged or they're only being tested and proving grounds where the car companies try to keep prying eyes away. So how did you start finding out where these future products were being tested or being driven that you could go, go get a, a shot of them? Well, you know, I, I lived in Detroit, so you're raised, you raised know, your relatives work at Fords or GM or Chrysler. So there are proving grounds around, and that's where they test the cars. And they have uh, barriers there, but sometimes the cars come out on the open road. And you sit out there, wait a while. Now, other times, if you want to get really far ahead of what the testing uh, was concerned with, you'd have to go down inside of the company. And that meant going past guards or receptionists, uh, taking pictures undetected, and that's kind of what I specialized in early on. But by, by the time I was at it 15 years, just about everybody in the industry knew me, so I couldn't just walk in or I'd be recognized. So most of my later photos were taken from the outside. For instance, that, uh, that one on the cover is uh, a Corvette from the GM Proving Grounds. And it, it says everything about testing. It's got a fifth wheel on it. It's kind of covered up. The grill is covered up to say this is a future car. Got a pitot valve up on the roof. And then you can see from a distance, it's taken from a distance with a long lens, longer than this, that foreshortens the picture. Brings everything together. You see all four wheels. It's one, that's my favorite shot, actually, of all the, say, 5,000 that I've taken. Unbelievable. 5,000 spy shots. 5,000 usable ones. You can imagine how many I threw away. <laughs> now, let's go back a little minute because you said that if you uh, stay outside uh, the proving grounds, you'll see one of these cars come by, or if you go inside, and we'll have to get into a bit of that as well. 
But you can't just sit outside of approving grounds day after day waiting for something to come by or hoping that it does. And you can't even just sneak into a company's property and hope that you're going to find John, something. John, I didn't sneak in. Oh, you didn't sneak <laughs> no, in? Oh. I walked right in. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I had too. a disguise, though. But you had to have good intelligence as to when a car would be coming by and what it might be. Uh, there was a lot of just sitting around and waiting, not, maybe not uh, maybe not too long. You know, wait a while while I'm driving out to the airport, stop by Ford's or maybe going to Lansing. I'd stop by the GM Proving Grounds, spend an hour there. But I wouldn't spend half a day or all, never all day. Now, today, people, uh, spy photographers, so-called, you know, wannabes, are out in uh, Death Valley today in the hot weather testing. And they'll be out there for weeks or, uh, say, three months waiting for the cars to drive by. Well... That's not what I did. I worked as a writer, and I did the uh, photography on the side, so it's quite a bit different. Now, as far as going inside, there were special techniques for that, and that's different, and I don't think it's ever done anymore. It, people just don't do it. Tell us a little bit about those techniques. I mean, number one, how did you ever you know, muster up the courage oh, to God. try to get through a guard shack or a receptionist when you first started <clears throat> this? Well, it may have meant my job at the magazine. You might have gotten fired for this. I might have gotten fired. Because you're trespassing. And I might have been arrested. And Yeah, trespassing. Well, the disguise was simple. It was a white short sleeve shirt with a skinny black tie. And uh, in the pocket here, I'd have the uh, pencil, all the pencils in a... Uh, pr uh, pocket protector. Pocket protector. And a definite attitude. And Like you belong there. Yeah, and then... Uh, I'd have a, I'd have a uh, clipboard and a very official look on my face. No, I wouldn't look at the receptionist because she wasn't, or he, wouldn't, wasn't worth it. So I just uh, walk by and walk in. Now, one of the early times, Jerry Flint, the late Jerry Flint, who worked for the New York Times, and I would go into this uh, the pilot plant at Chrysler on East Jefferson in Detroit. And by pilot, you mean where they would build early models? The of very cars. first build-up of the very first cars, and they hand practically hand-build them. Well, by the time they finished the cars at this pilot plant, they would take pictures of them and then ship them out to be tested. Well, Flint and I uh, would walk by the receptionist at the front of an assembly plant, because in the back of the assembly plant was the pilot plant. So we'd walk by, get in the assembly plant, walk down the assembly line with our clipboards and our official look and our skinny tie and our pocket protectors. And, of course, look at the assembly line and then walk out to the back, outside the door, down onto a rail spur, walk along the tracks about 20 feet, back up on the docks, and then into the pilot plant. And we just, voila, we just appear there from nowhere. And he would carry the lens, I'd carry the body of the camera. All hidden. Yeah. And we'd kind of nose around, look around, and take pictures. Well, I, I, we, all, we almost got nabbed there one time. And it was the last, that was the next year, the last year I ever took a picture inside that pilot plant. Because uh, the second time we went in, I was extremely nervous. And we walked down the assembly line out on the track and then up the dock and inside. Well, we, 
right away we see five suits over in the distance in this plant. Jerry and I are looking at the uh, pilot cars and the suits are eyeing us and I'm thinking, if they come over here, what are we gonna say? Well, my, um, the president of my company had already told me, Jim, whatever you do, never tell a lie. Now, why would a president be telling me that? What, what did I do wrong? <laughs> anyway, here come the suits, all five of them. Jerry and I are just staring at this pilot car, hoping they'd walk by, but they walked up and uh, the one man said to us, uh, can I help you gentlemen? I says, oh, uh, no, we're just here on our uh, lunch hour looking over the new models. He says, well, you know, last year somebody got in here and took pictures of our pilot cars and they appeared in a national magazine, was my magazine. <laughs> so uh, he says, ever since then you have to sign in. And um, he says, where are you from? And I says, uh, we're from publications downtown. We just came over on a lunch hour. so." Uh, well, we're through here. I think we'll leave. He says, well, sign in if you want. I said, no, no, we're kind of in a hurry. Thanks anyway. So we walked out. Well, our feet were going like this, but our arms are going real slow. <laughs> That's the last time. We got outside the plant, down past the regular guard. As soon as we hit the sidewalk, we both screamed. That was it. And it was the only time in my life I ever heard my friend Jerry Flint, or heard him, never be able to, never say a word. He was speechless. So... Well, That's, I knew Jerry well, and to know that Jerry was at a loss for words. Exactly. <laughs> so um, that, did, that did it with that pilot plant. But I went into a couple other places like Pontiac and Ford and, uh -huh. um, and uh, at other times. Not so scary. But I could have lost my job. Jerry may have lost his job. Well, you did the right thing. You didn't lie to I those guys. You told them that you were from Publications, publications Downtown. I love that story. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Jim, let's take a quick break here. Let's show the audience some of your spy photography. Sure. And I'm going to bring a couple of my colleagues in who have spent a lot of their careers with you, too. So we'll take a quick break and bring them on. Joining us now for our continuing discussion with master spy photographer Jim Dunnar, Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, and Michelle Krebs from Edmunds.com. And great having the both of you here. Thanks for having us. Michelle, you got the floor. I want to know about the very first uh, spy photo you took. What car was it? It was a Corvair. If you remember that car, I don't know if anybody. <laughs> Ralph was a little famous. That we do remember. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. So that's back quite a few years. I borrowed. Um, I knew I could shoot over the fence at GM in Milford. They have a proving ground there in the north-south straightaway. And if I got up on a hill in the woods, I could see over the fence. But most cameras that I had just had a 50-millimeter lens, and I, it, you wouldn't see the car. So I, I knew my sister-in-law had a 135-millimeter lens, so I borrowed her, her uh, camera, and it worked out. I shot this car beautifully, three-quarter front on the track, and it was next year's car, uh, a revamped Corvair. It wasn't the original Corvair. And it was in showroom quality, so no disguise or anything. This is before they started putting all the disguise. Before you on existed cars. out there to do that. Before <laughs> they I had existed, to hide right. them. You created an industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I sent it into New York to Popular Mechanics. I was freelancing for them at the time. And uh, 
they wrote back and they said, Jim, the pictures you sent are incredible. Please send us more. And I think the, uh, the key word was electrifying. That sold me on the whole idea. Electrifying to this day describes the adventures I've had, the, uh, the, the jams I've gotten into are just missed and things like that. But the Corvair was the first. And what a dumpy car to have for your <laughs> first car. <laughs> Did, by any chance, do you know the statute of limitations uh, for illegally entering a facility and taking five pictures? I don't He's know. Here to but arrest you. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I mean, the key word is illegally. <laughs> I never illegally, I can't can't say that word. (laughs) Um, Most of the time I just walk in, assume assume my attitude and walk in, and you know, who's going to mess with me? None of us. No. No. So um, I would always use that as an excuse. I could just walk in, nobody stopped me, nobody asked me anything, and if you have an attitude, people don't mess with you usually, so... But the car companies must have been infuriated when all of a sudden these spy shots start showing up. I thought they were because I heard a lot of, well, they took a lot of precautions to keep people out. And you think, well, if somebody gets by us, we don't like it. But as Jim will tell you, sometimes on the inside, the feeling was different. Uh, maybe they wanted their car to be shown. Or if, say you're an engineer working on a new car and you have your heart and soul into it. And for months you're working on it and nobody sees it and nobody knows anything about it. And you go home and you tell your family or your wife, God, this car is terrific, it's really coming along and you can't show it to them. As a matter of fact, every photo that I have in that book, and there's over 200 of them, uh, is not reproduced anywhere else. This, these are the shots of, it, of that vehicle, well, some other spy photographer, but uh, the companies would not have pictures taken them to be sent around. They were very careful. But at the same time, I think they enjoyed seeing the uh, product of their work and their labors out there and shown to the public. Yeah, there are a lot of times with uh, programs, you actually wanted the car out there because you get some feedback from from people. And the thing is now, because you've got to be infuriated with the Samsonite suitcase stuff they're starting to put on cars to disguise them, the rigid plastic things where you can't tell what the car is, yet there's still people selling photos of cars that look like briefcases. So it, it ain't quite the same. Briefcase, I, I never, never use that one. <laughs> I've called them other things. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. The giant sacks are the interesting ones, too. Um, uh-huh. Do you recall the first time they actually tried putting uh, paint camo on them with those weird graphic patterns? The paint camo came kind of late. Okay. Uh, the, most, the one that really stands out uh, in my mind is the bronze Corvette. It looked like a Batmobile in bronze. And I think it was a, in the 70s, a brand new Corvette. Mm-hmm. And the story with that, just briefly, is that um, Don Sherman, who was the editor of Car and Driver, called me up and said, Jim, have you got any pictures of the new Corvette? And I says, uh, no, uh, do you really want them? He says, we'd kill for a Corvette. Well, I can understand that kind of language. So, <laughs> um, that means money. <laughs> right. So I went out, and sure as heck, they had this uh, bronze-colored Corvette with ex- fender extensions on it in the front and in the back, and the headlights were housed in square uh, openings, and a fake fender. Everything was fake about it, the whole body, and it looked stretched and very attractive to see. So I took a few pictures of that. I sent it to uh, Sherman. He put it on the cover. And so that was one of the very first one where I saw him put 
different shapes on the outside. To disguise the with the car like Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't know what it was. You have to tell the story about, <clears throat> to keep from uh, trespassing, you bought a piece of property that was rather oh. special. The ranchette, which we've heard about for years. Do you want to hear another story about the ranch? <laughs> <Love that. laughs> well, now that we've led up to okay. it, you got to tell the story. Yeah, tell people first about what the ranchette was. Yes. Uh, the, the ranchette was a piece of property that stuck into the uh, desert proving grounds in Phoenix, Arizona, of Chrysler. Chrysler's desert for, uh, proving grounds. Say, say they owned uh, 500 acres, and it's where they did their summer testing. You all know that. Well, I used to go down there and shoot through the fence. They had barbed wire in those days. I mean, it, this is country. This is out in the desert. Uh, but I noticed the, their fence kind of stuck in, penetrated in at one point. And their test road, say this is the proving ground, the test road would come around, make a right turn, go up around this piece of property and continue. And I thought, they must not own this property because the fence went back there too. So I called, uh, make a long story short, I bought that piece of property. And the stuff hit the fan at Chrysler. Do you know who bought our property there that sticks right in to our proving ground? Um, and uh, I mentioned it to other people and they called it the ranchette. Well, I used to go down there occasionally, maybe two, three times a year and shoot through the fence at the, the cars driving 15 feet away. Um, so I owned it, uh, what, eight years, I believe. Eight years of great stories, by the way. Great stories and going down there. That's my property. And I, I got a lot of shots, but it, it wasn't a bonanza because as soon as they saw me there, they uh, stopped their testing. In fact, the Chrysler guard says, uh, Mr. Dunn, we're watching your property. And uh, there was somebody on it the other day, and I told him, uh, does Mr. Dunn know you're here? And he said, well, no. And I said, well, you, you have to get off the property. So Chrysler was watching my property. <laughs> Anyway, when I checked in uh, to the front gate on uh, official business of the magazine to test a car out somewhere in the proving grounds, they always have, they have a book there, sign in your name and your affiliation. Well, guys that sign in uh, uh, Jim Hall, Motor Trend, or whatever, things like that. Well, I always signed in Jim Dunn, neighbor. And I'd see them all go over and pick up the book and look at it. <laughs> so I had a lot of laughs with that. And it turned out very well. Chrysler finally sound, uh, sold that, what, four years ago, mm -hmm. I believe. Part of the bankruptcy, I think they, they right. sold that property. Well, there was a big developer came in. And this was at the peak of Real the property value. Oh, before the big collapse. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've got to buy low. I spent $24,000 to buy this piece of property. And then you sell high. I, I think I made, uh, I sold it for $575,000 or something. My little oh, ranch. There's money in the spy business. Plus the income from the spy photo is taken there. You know? It was a win, as they say. I hate to say it. So that's the story. That's a short version of the story of the ranchette. I've gone in there and raised hell with uh, Chrysler because they finally put a chain link fence up, which I could shoot through. That didn't make any difference. But... They had rolls of uh, barbed wire, rolls of chain link, and three trucks on the property. And I pulled up. I, I knew what they were doing because they were building the fence around for a few months. So I said, uh, who's in charge here? And one of the workers says, Mr. Gonzalez. I said, would you tell Mr. Gonzalez that uh, I'd like to speak to him, please? He'd come over. I said, Mr. Gonzalez, I own this property and I want those three trucks and all that uh, fencing off it within 10 minutes. Well, 
it disappeared within five minutes, <laughs> and I was king of that area, <laughs> my ranch. Anyway, um, shortly, the guard comes out. He's notified. Hello. The guard comes out. He sees me. He says, oh, you're here. Okay, just a minute. Next, uh, uh, Chrysler car comes out, and the general manager and assistant general manager get out of the car. They're huge, two huge guys. And they said, uh, Mr. Dunn, uh, is there a problem? And I said, is there a problem? I pull up here, I see these street. Look at the ruts they made in, in my uh, <laughs> desert. <laughs> they ran over this tumbleweed. Steam is coming out of their ears because they don't want me there in the first place anyway. But it was all resolved. And uh, I said, look, I'm leaving now, and I'm not coming back for a couple months, so do whatever you want. Uh, a few years later, a little follow-up story, I saw the head of security at uh, Chrysler, who was then working at Ford Motor Company. And I said, did anybody get in trouble with me buying that property? She says, no. She said, no. Uh, it's a typical bureaucratic thing. We just wrote back inside the company that uh, we had already had the paperwork going to buy that property and it hadn't been signed off through the channels, so we got off with that. <laughs> so it all worked out well for everybody. <clears throat> of course, I, I don't own the property anymore and I do sorely miss it. Except Even for the bank account. There's no more cars running over there. <laughs> it was a huge uh, development that bought this At piece time, of property. I think it was the biggest land deal in uh, th Arizona. That's right, it was the biggest land sale in the history of Arizona. Mm -hmm. Oh, so. yeah. We once, at, uh, when I was at General Motors, we once sort of knew you were out there and played a trick on you. Tell me about it. Uh, but make it short. I will. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it was before Saturn came out, but they'd announced Saturn, and everybody's wondering what our Saturn's going to be. And uh, I was engineering manager of the joint venture programs, and we decided to get a Geostorm that we'd just gotten our first uh, sort of, a, like a, not a pilot, but a pre-pilot car in. And we put Saturn badges on it uh, that we had fabbed up out of cardboard, and a Saturn die-cut decal on the rear bumper. Do you mind if I call you a name after this? Yeah, yeah that's okay. <laughs> and I remember when it, when it was on the cover of Auto Week, and I went, it worked! <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, who named that car Geo? Who was the one inside GM? Uh, it's a trick question. A company called Name Lab came to GM with I all thought, of these I names. I thought you were the one that Not involved with that one. I wouldn't have picked it. Or Lumina, because, you know, the, they had the Lumina. <laughs> and Lumina. GM was, after they named it, they were sued by uh, Lumina and Monte Carlos uh, for using and diminishing the value of their names. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gio was, it was an awful name. I, I thought that was your name. Jim. No, no. Oh, my right. name's Jim, and yeah, I, would, yeah, yeah. I would call the car a Jim. <laughs> I remember that, because you and I are kind of wearing the same thing. Uh, we have the same look. And we have the same first name, so I can remember yeah, that yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> what was An it? old friend of mine, very old friend. What was the the uh, hottest photo you took that like sold the fastest that people wanted? Oh, it was in downtown Chicago, of all places. Uh, Cadillac was running a, a shoot on Wacker Boulevard, and a shoot usually consists of a director, a cameraman, a couple of uh, fluffers at the side, and then a couple of gophers. And they were they had blocked off part of Wacker just uh, west of uh, Michigan Avenue on the Chicago River. Well, I was coming in for a uh, Nissan preview, and we were meeting at the uh, those towers, those uh, marina towers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was with Jack Keebler in the car, and uh, Jack says, "That's a, that's a new Escalade they're testing there." 
or not testing, but uh, doing a ad shooting a commercial. Ad shoot. It's yeah. rolling the rolling footage stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So I said, stop. So I got out of the car. I said, Jack, what is that? Are you sure that's our hotel? Because I'm not sure where I'm going. He says, yeah, right. I says, well, tell Nissan I'll be a little late when I check in. So I started walking back to Michigan Avenue. I stopped a pedestrian. I said, uh, where's the nearest uh, drugstore or Walgreens? Right uh, up to Michigan, down the block. It's right on the corner. So I hurried down there, walked in. I said, how much are these... Uh, Cardboard cameras, you've seen them. Mm -hmm. Throw away disposable camera. Yeah. camera. Yeah, thirty-five <laughs> millimeter. Thirty-five millimeter. So she says nine dollars and sixty cents. I said, uh, okay, uh, I'll buy one. So I said the film's in and everything. How did these work? So she showed me. The, I said, well, take a picture with it, would you? <laughs> so I could see you, you actually. So she did. So I paid her and I hurried back, and I shot the car uh, without too much trouble. They saw me, but it was after I had shot the car. And then I walked down Wacker across the bridge, the Marina Towers, checked in with Nissan. And I said, do you know where there's a one-hour uh, developing around here? <laughs> I said, oh, Mr. Dunn, we'll take care of that for you. I says, well, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this film, so uh, don't worry. No, don't. <laughs> it's a very nice camera. <laughs> I want uh, the camera back. <laughs> And you're so, going to have to wrap it up quick. We're getting down to the end here. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you sold them that night, didn't you? Of course. I went up, freshened up in my room. By the time I come down, they had uh, two sets of prints for me. And they said, Mr. Dunn, we kept one print, a set of prints for ourselves. You, you don't mind, do you? Well, it was Nissan. They wanted to see what yeah. <laughs> I said, well, no. So I walked across the, uh, the entranceway, and they're in uh, House of Blues uh, restaurant. We were having dinner. And I ran into my colleagues, the other writers, and two of them said, we'll buy that photo. Sold them right on the spot. Handed them over. Well, of course, they didn't pay me till later, but uh, yes, that was my fastest turnover. At Wacker in Michigan. And I no love expense. That it, it was Nissan's expense. <laughs> that is a great story, especially knowing that you did it with a disposable camera. Now you know, folks, it doesn't take much to get into the spy business, not for <laughs> photographing spy cars or spy photography for cars. But anyway, we've got to wrap this up. Jim Hall, 2953 Analytics. Uh, Michelle Krebs from Edmunds.com. Great having the both of you here. And Jim Dunn, the spy ph photographer with his book, Car Spy, that's out right now. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys.